Then from dawn, it seemed there came, but faint, as from beyond the limit of the world, like the last echo of a great cry, sounds as if some fair city were one voice, around a king returning from his wars. The Passing of Arthur in Idols of the King, 1869, by Alfred Lord Tennyson. This is a rather new project of mine, and my first time organizing a podcast. Consequently, I ask you, dear listener, to be patient with me. This podcast is called Beyond the Veil, a reference to W.E.B. Du Bois' explanation of the proverbial color line between deferring American cultures. The original citation for this title can be found in his Opus Magnum, The Souls of Black Folks. The concept of Beyond the Veil serves as a double entendre. On one hand, it speaks of the seeming incapability of some Americans to understand the plight of the black American from anything beyond a distinctly Eurocentric perspective. On the other hand, it is a melancholic heralding of the black American being forced to view the world through his curiously unique lens. As Dubois states, the black American is gifted a sort of second sight on account of his precarious position as a, quote, seventh son of a seventh son, unquote. This lens offers the benefit of objective critique, as most things considered distinctly American are generally considered not considered distinctly black. This offers a much-needed way of constantly challenging American principles to live up to its much-lauded but oftentimes false boasts of being a completely egalitarian and equal society. Additionally, it is a reference to the black American folktale that a child born with the veil of a placenta over its face is destined to be gifted with spiritual and psychic abilities. A admittedly lovely metaphor, as the black community desperately needs its philosophers and academics to find their cultural voice in a world which screams, assimilate or perish. I will iterate that the podcast itself will naturally have several episodes dedicated to race psychology. This podcast started out as catharsis for me to speak on matters which have adversely affected me personally throughout my life. However, I have no desire to restrict this podcast to strictly analytical psychology. In future episodes, I plan on covering everything from weird historical facts to serial killers to esoteric occultism. For today, however, dear listener... I merely request that you find satisfaction in a brief exposition of political theory and philosophical introspection. We will be covering various topics which will attempt to analyze the behavior and plight of the modern black American citizen through the lens of philosophy and analytical psychology. I would be remiss if I didn't admit that I am not a subject matter expert, nor is this podcast meant to convert or prove any abstract point. 
As a black man in America, I have found myself struggling to merely exist without some sort of psychic assault from any combination of generational trauma or external trauma. This is merely my attempt at making sense of it all, and I hope in the process it could help others struggling with their identity. I will attempt to present the information I have researched in a nonpartisan and objective fashion, as I don't want the message to be muddied by accusations of ulterior political motivation. This episode will be dense, and I have not finished reading all of the material in my possession directly related to it. Consequently, I may separate this podcast into a multi-part series and continue presenting information after I have finished reading a couple more books on the matter. Naturally, with any research journey, I may find material which will contradict, supplement, or entirely replace previously researched material. If that is the case, I will ensure that I address the issue in a future podcast as they come. For today's episode, I will be addressing the duality of black consciousness, existentialism in black culture, and post-colonial psychopathology. I will be using information gained from several books to include Mutual Aid by Peter Kropotkin, The Souls of Black Folks by W.E.B. Du Bois, The Moral Animal by Robert Wright, Myth of Sisyphus by Albert Camus, Man and His Symbols by Carl Jung, and several other books I will cite when the information presents itself. Furthermore, I will also be referencing general ideas from existentialists such as Fanon, Sartre, Dostoevsky, Kafka, and Hegel. Before we dive down this rabbit hole, I first feel obliged to explain what exactly existentialism as a philosophy is. Existentialism focuses on the idea that every human as an individual is responsible for their own sense of agency in this existence under the auspice that no divine judicator can push you to be anything other than that which, which you, you wish to be. This should not be conflated with a strict agnosticism or predeterminism. One can believe in a god and also believe that existence is predetermined while still expressing existentialist ideals. I myself believe in the existence of some form of higher power and operate under the belief that we live a predeterminist existence. To elaborate, what would be a scientific de definition of a god as we know it? The seraphim of Judeo-Christian mythology are often described in a way that is unknowable to the degree of being eldritch, a la H.P. Lovecraft. In Lovecraft's books, what gods such as Azathoth were fourth-dimensional extraterrestrials whose existence is beyond mortal comprehension. On a more terrestrial scale, let us consider how the rat must view us as humans. Rats have time and time again proven themselves to be capable of empathy, critical thinking, and social behavior. For a more in-depth explanation of the intricacies of rat multiculturalism, reference the rat part ex experiments uh, carried out from 18, not 18, pardon me, 
1970 to 1981 by Canadian psychologist Bruce K. Alexander and his colleagues at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, Canada. Now, I must warn you that these studies are very dark and macabre and end with a almost Orwellian degree of horrific behavior. So go in there with a steeled conscience. How does this surprisingly sharp-witted rat make sense of our hominid existence? Everything about us is beyond their comprehension. They don't understand the depths of our wisdom or our existence. They just acknowledge that we simply are. We are, for all intents and purposes, as gods to them. There's nothing supernatural at us, yet in relation to the rat's understanding of reality, we are most certainly eldritch horrors lording over them on a plane beyond the reach of their tiny paws. For an example of predeterminism not necessarily being at odds with existentialism, we can reference Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. Mr. Gladwell speaks on several experiments with the following quote from page six of his book. Quote, As the psychologist Timothy D. Wilson writes in his book, Strangers to Ourselves, the mind operates most efficiently by relegating a good deal of high-level, sophisticated thinking to the unconscious, just as a modern jetliner is able to fly on automatic pilot with little or no input from the human. Conscious pilot. The adaptive unconscious does an excellent job of sizing up the world, warning people of danger, setting goals, and initiating action in a sophisticated and efficient manner. End quote. By this logic, our brains have made most of our daily decisions without our conscious mind even being aware of said decision. Indeed, Later, Gladwell speaks on several experiments which monitor the brain, uh, registering a decision moments before the individual even acknowledges that decision is made on the conscious level. By this logic, we operate under a philosophically predeterminist existence where we are not as in control of our actions as we believe. However, as it is still our own brains which decide upon said action, we are still on some level in control of our own agency. Thus, predeterminist existentialism. When Nietzsche said that God is dead and we killed him, he was not talking about some deicidal act of literally murdering Yahweh himself. He was speaking of the death of logical reliance on a greater entity to decide where agency takes us. Now, you might be asking, asking pardon me, what this has to do with the plight of the black American? post-colonial psychology, or what indeed is this mythical duality of consciousness I speak of. I argue that existentialism is the lifeblood of the colonized native, to include the black American in response to our violent removal from our motherland to be shipped halfway across the world to an alien land that had no intentions beyond rape and exploitation. This cataclysm has been referred to by black intellectuals as the MAPA, which is Swahili for cataclysm or destructive event. Existentialism evolved as a distinctly Western philosophy originally. 
the end of the Renaissance and the advent of the Industrial Revolution left the previously agrarian societies of Western Europe shaken to their very metaphysical core. The rapid consolidation of economic and political power to the bourgeoisie merchant class left the rules of the previously accepted aristocratic dogma upended, which brought about, not to put it too coyly, an existential crisis for both peasant and nobility. Humans in largely sedentary settlements, such as what has been labeled civilized societies, are not known to react to change in any capacity very well, let alone the sudden and complete overhauls of their entire existence. The vestiges of communalism, which can be found in the Hanseatic federations, were also destroyed by the church and the state to leave the only viable option left being that of stratocratic assimilation into a new capitalist society of Western Europe. Intellectuals needed to make sense of this change in lifestyle, naturally. Consequently, Hobbes took some rather liberal interpretations of Darwin's ascent and descent of man, whereas Nietzsche and Dostoevsky attempted to make sense of the spiritual vacuum where machines killed mysticism and God was manifested in the notoriously industrial Protestant work ethic. Even those who still fancy them spiritual, such as the Masonic Lodges and the Rosicrucian Order, found themselves struggling to keep up with the times in a way that could, be complete, that could completely reconcile modern scientific analysis with aggressive technological progress. Enter what black Americans call the Mafia, or what contemporary historians call the Atlantic slave trade, and how that affected the West African people. First, let us speak on categories, which will segue into the duality of black consciousness. Kropotkin split ancient man into two categories, pre-glacial versus post-glacial societies, which I will attempt to replicate in this podcast, albeit with less technical vernacular. Pre-glacial societies refer to how humans lived before the Ice Age. Naturally, during Ice Ages, one could not readily farm. Consequently, tribes of humans relied on hunter-gathering to sustain their livelihood. This kept humanity in a largely tribal society. Societies that are not as culturally unsophisticated as one would be led to believe. Reference the tragic and beautiful First Nations of North America, such as the gallant Iroquois or the regal Kiowa. Kropotkin mentions in his book Mutual Aid the appearance of highly complex societal structures that simply have no need of the dogmatic traditions normally found in sedentary Western European societies. Centralized living and sedentary living only became possible during the post-glacial periods, where the ground gave way to man's will. Naturally, both styles of society have entirely different methods of sustaining cultural and social stability. My ancestral tribes of Western Africa operated under a pre-glacial communalism. When we were ripped from our families and shipped across the Atlantic, we were forced to suddenly face an entirely different set of rules and an entirely different style of cultural and social, st social stability. The trauma of the particularly draconian style of chattel slavery notwithstanding in this current discourse. 
with the horrible generational trauma of the Mafia, the entire diaspora of African society displaced was robbed of any and all personal agency. Fast forward to the sloppy reconstruction period and repeated blunders of the Freedmen's Bureau, which I fully plan on covering in more detail under a later podcast, we can find the modern-day Negro still struggling with identity and place within society. The modern-day black American struggles horribly with their identity. If I had a nickel for how many times I heard growing up during the supposedly civilized 21st century, the following phrase recounted any number of different ways. Quote, I don't hate black people, I just hate niggers. If black people didn't act like niggers, then they wouldn't have the problems they currently do. End quote. The thinly veiled hostility notwithstanding, how would one define acting like a nigger? W.E.B. Dubois speaks on the duality of the black soul, summed up in the following excerpt perfectly. Quote, One feels his two-ness, an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body, whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. End quote. As a black man who listens to punk rock and grindcore and dresses crust punk, I had dealt with statements such as stop acting so white from both my own people and from those who live beyond the veil, as Dubois calls anyone attempting to peer into the complex spiritual and cultural web of black culture from a third party perspective. This was my first experience with what Camus calls the absurd. The absurd is Camus' way of describing the cognitive dissonance that manifests when one has a nihilistic epiphany concerning the destructive cyclical process of trying to make sense of this cosmic existence from the perspective of a mere mortal. The absurd has an additional layer of existential dread when viewed from the lens of the slave. First, we have to comprehend the master before we can even begin to comprehend the greater cosmos. The aforementioned dialogue was my first experience with the futility of truly fitting into any group as long as it carried the stigma of my black skin wherever I went. I was too white for the other black kids, but still black in the eyes of the white kids. I did not understand it at the time, nor do I fully understand it in the present day, However, those experiences gave me the much-needed cyclical torment that Camus expresses is the first step to truly understanding the world through the lens of objective and philosophically emancipated nihilism. For that, I thank those kids, as they gave me the required neurosis to pursue such a morbid quest as that of the absurdist. With Existentialism and its role in black history outlined, I will attempt to summarize the Du Boisian concept of double consciousness. As apocryphal and anachronism as it may be, it used to be a commonly held belief among black communities that the only way to be successful in the society is to do things white and to avoid things black. Classical music evokes a different kind of imagery than Yoruba tribal music. When one hears the name Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, 
the images summoned to the forefront of the mind imitate the same images when one invokes the name of the war-torn Afghan province of Helmand. This duality raises black youths to constantly feel ashamed of their own heritage and to conflate ideas of success with whiteness. Such psychology is not only detrimental to the cultural image of African culture, but also actively inhibits the critical thinking and analytical thought process of black youths. Gladwell mentions later in Blink the concept of primers. A primer is, put simply, a way to mentally condition an individual to respond to a stimulus in a controlled fashion. A control group of black Americans were given an aptitude exam in a more organic fashion. There were no primers involved. Several months later, the same group was given the same exam. This time beforehand, they were exposed to primers of seemingly innocuous images of black individuals. The control group scored noticeably lower on the exams as a whole. A few months later, the control group was administered the same exam but were then exposed to seemingly innocuous images of white individuals. This time, they scored noticeably higher than the previous exam. At no point were the groups given time to prepare. The only variable changed was the primer. This speaks on the subconscious damage that colonization has inflicted upon the black mind, which was prophesied in Dubois' concept of dual consciousness. Stripped of agency and left with the pervasive generational trauma caused by the Mafia, we see the black individual lost to an existential crisis that they hardly have any comprehension of, let alone a plan to achieve that mythic Jungian concept of self-actualization. Finally, this leads us to the pervasive effects of post-colonial psychopathology or how generational trauma continues to affect the modern-day ex-slave. For a deeper analysis of said trauma, reference Dr. Joy DeGroy's book Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. With such a bleak outlook, one might wonder what, what an individual can do to unmake this kind of trauma. Well, I will reference Dr. Carl Gustav Jung's belief that demons as we know it exist within us. I disagree with Jung on several matters, just as I disagree with most people on a lot of things. However, Jung's allegorical way of approaching psychotherapy does resonate with me on some level. A natural extension of the death of God is the death of Satan. No longer are demons metaphysical threats which assail us from somewhere beyond the proverbial greater veil. Now demons are within us manifestations of all of our trauma and abuse operating independently of our agency, destroying us from the inside out with no regard to our well-being and beyond our control. Robert Wright argues in his book The Moral Animal that the modern day that most modern-day psychological disorders are resultant of the human mind revolting against an increasingly uncaring modern industry. No place is that greater presented than in the plight of the modern-day Negro. Archaic spiritual practices hold that names hold power over an individual, whether that individual be terrestrial or otherwise. By that logic, we name our internal demons. 
This gives them a corporeal form, and a corporeal form can be destroyed. In this case, we name generational trauma. Furthermore, we name our individual traumas comorbid with our generational trauma and how they affect us. For instance, consider the concept of black men, the stereotype of black promiscuity, and the pervasive inability to stay with a single woman. That is merely learned behavior from the days of chattel slavery. Consider the following scenario. John wishes to shack up with Jolene. John asks his master if this is acceptable. His master agrees. Eventually, John is needed elsewhere on the plantation or sold to a different owner. When John arrives at his new plantation, he finds Georgina. Georgina already has a family from before, but her husband was also sold off. Now John asks his new master to shack up with Georgina. His master agrees, and the cycle continues. My own grandfather raised my mom, aunts, and uncles, only to leave my grandmother and raise a whole new family with a new woman and go so far as to name all of their children the exact same names as the previous family. Is this wrong? I would say so. Is it his fault? I would argue not entirely. For if my grandfather grew up watching John, Jolene, and Georgina, believing that all of that behavior was entirely typical of a race stripped of any agency beyond the control of the Hegelian master-slave dialectic, can he be held entirely accountable for his infidelity? However, now that we understand the origin of our learned behavior, we can learn to break the cycle, the cyclical bastardization of our people, and return to the strong family dynamics of our Yoruba heritage. We have identified the demon, and now we can destroy the demon. Through analysis of our post-colonial psychology and an understanding of our own specific flavor of black existentialism, we can exercise our demons, achieve our self-actualization, and someday reconcile our duality of consciousness. Jung states that he believes within all of us is a darker half, our shadow self. I argue that the shadows of every black American is the rage of our ancestors stemming from the Mafia, that it is a personification of a white bigot existing within a black body hating our black vessel and making every effort to break out and destroy our own blackness. We will never return to our own original psychic threshold before the Mafia, and I argue that we shouldn't. Harkening to the principles forwarded by books such as Second Wave Positive Psychology, Embracing the Dark Side of Life, written by Itai Eatson, Tim Lomas, Kate Hefferson, and Piers Worth, we should amalgamate our shadow into ourselves to achieve a stronger balance and a more powerful bulwark against future trauma. Through our own psychoanalysis, we can form a new identity to form a stronger sense of African pride, and we should seek success in this country through our tribal roots, as opposed to succumbing to Eurocentric zero-sum annihilation. As Du Bois said, we should not wish to Africanize America, as America has too much to teach the world. However, nor should America attempt to whiten black Americans as we have too much to teach America. 
I thank you for following me on this journey, as my own personal matters can be overwhelming at times. I do not have a schedule for my next podcast, however, as every human being needs a catharsis, and I still have an entire grimoire of personal demons to work through, I believe I will organize a new podcast sooner rather than later. For instance, uh, hearkening back to the concept of shadow work, I'm highly interested in shadow work, so in the future I may explain, or more than likely will explain, in a deeper level, how I feel black Americans can take our generational trauma and our shadow selves and use it as a weapon against future trauma. Again, this has been Beyond the Veil. And I am your humble host. Until next time, dear listener, Ave, and hail yourselves.